Two Kids and a Career is a production of Jill Divine Media. And now there is a movement where there is a body positivity or body size acceptance, and that's turned even in more into more of a neutral thing. So just accepting the way that you look and the way that you are and, and appreciating that we're, we're becoming more exposed to that. There are some companies that do advertising where they don't kind of airbrush everything, uh, where things where you can actually see some natural dimples or hair or things that, that might normally be airbrushed out. It's not normal to see somebody without pores. Two Kids in a Career is brought to you by Blondin Real Estate. They're a family-owned boutique-style brokerage with over 40 years of experience serving the counties that surround St. Louis. See the properties they have to offer at BlondinRealEstate.com. That's BlondinRealEstate.com. Hi there, and welcome to Two Kids in a Career. I'm Jill Devine. As an entrepreneur, wife, and mama, the daily grind of trying to build a business while taking care of kids and trying to maintain a healthy connection with my hubby, it's a lot. With this podcast, you're going to hear candid conversations with other moms, parenting experts who can share their knowledge and insight, or you'll just hear me rambling to get it all out. There's going to be tears, there's going to be laughter, but most importantly, there will be support. Take a listen and connect with me so we can grow and learn from one another. This is Two Kids and a Career. Welcome to episode 88. This episode is exactly what this podcast is all about. It's like one person referred to one person, referred to one person, referred to one person, and now it's all coming full circle. So uh, before I get into my as always, long-winded introduction. Let me first welcome Megan Logan to the podcast. Hi, how are you? I am well. Thank you for having me today. And you are currently in Florida, correct? I am in St. Augustine, Florida, which is in the northeast part of Florida. That sounds fabulous Mm -hmm. right now. It's hot in the summer. (laughs) It's hot right now. (laughs) So were you born and raised there or tell me a little bit about that? No, I'm actually from Maryland, um, kind of in between Baltimore and Annapolis area. And uh, when I graduated high school, my parents moved down to Florida. So I went to school in Virginia, lived in North Carolina, and eventually made my way down to Florida. Those sound like all fantastic places to be a part of. I am not as adventurous, born and raised here in St. Louis and haven't (laughs) gone anywhere. So um, I always love to hear that perspective from people who move and how they can do it. I, I, I love to visit places. I just don't think I'm a a mover kind of girl. It's funny because I've never been past Tennessee in my whole life. So I don't travel necessarily, but I will relocate to move. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. (laughs) So I would love to explain how I got you on this podcast, which I'm so super excited about. So back in episode 77, I had Ginny Jesse on and I was first introduced to Ginny Jesse because she was actually um, a super mom shout out recipient. She was nominated by her uh, co-worker slash friend, Allison, that said, hey, I would love to shout out this super mom. By the way, she is also the co-founder and executive director of the June Jesse Memorial Foundation, which I think would be a great episode if you also had her on to talk about that on the podcast, which happened. So she got that super mom shout out. And then We had an episode where we talked about her daughter and that episode, like I said, 77, keeping her daughter's legacy alive through acts of kindness. Well, one of the things that Jenny does is she sends these 
basically self-care packages to the moms and even the dads, I believe, of kiddos that are going through just the awful diseases, the things that are keeping them in the hospital. Um, What Jenny basically said was she realized that the parents weren't getting any kind of um, pick me up, so to speak. And I know I'm, I'm not wording it correctly, but just that they needed to take care of themselves too while they were in there with their children. So you can go back and listen to that episode to hear more about that. But this care package, I didn't feel deserving of it because I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't want to take this away from a mom who really, really needs this. But I'm glad Jenny sent it to me so I could relate and I could put myself in that mom's shoes and say, oh my gosh, this is perfect. So this package includes all these different things to help with self-care. And then at the bottom of the package, I was like, what was this workbook? The self-love workbook for women. Release self-doubt, build self-compassion, and embrace who you are. Written by my guest, Megan Logan. And so... We were talking about this because my word of the year, and I believe it's going to carry over into 2022, is self-care. And Jenny was talking to me about that, like, hey, this is exactly what women need. Women, She's like, I loved the colors of this workbook. I started going through it, and I just got it, and I said, this has to be it. Well, then I see that Jenny does a webinar with you, and I'm like... Jenny, can I please drop your name and reach out to Megan to see if she would be on the podcast? And she was like, absolutely. And so here you are. It's meant to be. That is amazing. That's by far been my favorite part of having written the book is connecting and meeting with people that I would normally never cross paths with. Um, So it's been really, truly amazing. And Jenny is an amazing, amazing woman, amazing mom, and she's doing some really great things out there. She is so compassionate and so inspiring. Like listening to her, I was just like, man, I I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you did it on the daily with your daughter, but it takes a special kind of person and she's one of them. And it's just so crazy too. I always say the word, it's so crazy. And people that listen on the regular are like, Jill, you always say it. Why do you keep saying it? But now it's formed this friendship with Ginny and she has a big event coming up in December, the first in-person event for their organization since the pandemic hit. And she asked me to be an MC, and it's just like, yes, like, yes, I can get behind things like this because this is for an amazing cause. And it's also about helping other moms. And that's what I really wanted to kind of just talk to you about, because I know how I feel. Um, and it's not that I, when I, when I say it's not great, that's not totally true. I just know that I am not loving myself as much as I possibly can, but I don't know how to definitely get to those places. And I think there's a lot of women that are feeling the same way. So whether this is about being a mom or not a mom, it's about being a woman. And it's about capturing what you need 
to be the best version of yourself, which I'm sure you can agree and probably talk about is that being the best version of yourself helps those around you, whether it's your kids, your significant other, your coworkers, whatever it is. So would you like to just start digging into the workbook and and talk about things that you're doing too besides the workbook to help others? Yeah, I think that um, the workbook resonates so much for so many women because we tend to be caregivers. Whether we have children or not doesn't matter. We right. tend to put others before us and we're conditioned by society to do that. Who knows, maybe some of it's biology. It's, it's just part of our nature. And so when we put ourselves last, we we don't have the reserves then to give and, and to do the things that we're really wanting to. And I used to think that by being critical or beating myself up or challenging myself to be better and going to an extreme version of that, I was going to become the best version of myself. But really, I, I actually made myself a worse version. Uh, when I took time for myself, set boundaries, learned to talk to myself with self-compassion, that's when I became the best version of myself. So when those things happened, is that what developed into what you're doing now and writing the workbook? Yeah, it's interesting. So I'm, I've been a therapist for 22 years, and I've always worked direct practice one on one with women. So I specialize in eating disorders and trauma and healthy relationships. And so I've my whole career has been focused on that, in some form or fashion, whether I've worked, I worked for hospice, I worked with abused children and foster care. So um I would say my roots are all of those issues are surrounded in self-love. And then I have my own personal journey and experience with self-love. So the workbook is really designed to be practical exercises, some things that you can do to think about and reflect on and tap into that self-love because it's such a broad, nebulous concept. It's, it's really overwhelming when you think, well, how am I supposed to just love myself? I know I need to, but I don't really know how. And so yeah. the workbook, it, it really gives you those steps to take. And it really just honestly scratches the surface. Um, I have found the workbook to be very powerful when used with other women. So when you get a group of women together, whether it's through a book club or just a couple friends doing the workbook and then talking about it and sharing some of the vulnerability, that it it just augments the process even further. Oh, that is good to know. So I am not all the way through the workbook, and I know that that doesn't offend you because when I like when I started it is that you do say like, you need to take your time. This isn't like a book that you want to read through really fast. There's activities, there's uh, different reflections. And so I have made it very intentional for myself. Like you're not going to just do this to do it. You actually need to be in the right headspace. You need to be in the right space without interruption. And so that's what I meant when I said that, because I don't want to fly through it. But I also like so far in what I have done, there's not this, and I guess I'll use the example of one of the very first activities that you have us do, which is um, doing that self-assessment, where are you in your self-love journey? And it's easy when you start reading some of these things and you start I mean, you know, when it says zero equals never, that that's kind of a negative. 
that you're a little scared to see the final results and what it means. But with the scoring and the description, it's still positive. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. I think that the whole workbook is designed to be used with self-compassion as you're doing the exercises. So it's not a time to beat yourself up and tell yourself you should be doing more, you're not doing enough, or um, it's, it's written in that way to be really supportive and encouraging. And that doesn't mean that we become lazy or complacent or decide that we're just, um, we, we don't need to do the work. It's just being gentle and kind and encouraging to ourselves along the way. So I was hoping that you could just, whether it be talking through some of the stuff in the workbook or what you practice individually with others as a therapist, just some of the things that women need to be mindful of or some of the tips to help us in certain situations, because we're all different. Like one person might not have the self-love in regard to parenting. One of us, it might be our body image. And so there is a different layer for each person and it's trying to figure out exactly how you pull that out and figure out what is best for you. So can we go down that lane right now? Absolutely. I think that self-love is a personalized journey. It has to be. So some of these concepts that we talk about, self-compassion and releasing your doubts and those kinds of things are very generalized. But when you make it into your own personal exploration, that's that's when it's really powerful. So one of the first things I think that helps along the way is just an awareness and being tuned into any critical negative messages that you've absorbed along your your journey of life, <laughs> whether yeah. that's childhood messages from family of origin, whether that's societal messages, uh, relationships that you may have had where some somewhere you've internalized this negative critical self-talk. And recognizing that is the first step because then you can challenge and change and do some work with reframing those into a more compassionate, kinder way of speaking to yourself, which then allows you to focus on your values and your gifts and the things that you can share in the world. So it's it's that really recognizing and having that mindfulness of what those negative messages are. And like you said, it can be body image, it can be trauma-based. I mean, if you grew up in a childhood or a home where there was lots of invalidation and there was abuse or trauma, that's you're going to be starting to build a new foundation with that. It's going to, it's going to take a different kind of work than somebody who's been nurtured and loved their whole life and still has self doubts and still struggles. They're going to be doing a different, uh, different layers upon exploring that. Okay. With that, that's something that I've always had questions about when it comes to, okay, (laughs) I think I've joked around in several episodes, like, I don't want to be the reason my kids go to therapy, but I'm sure it is. <laughs> like, what am I going to do to to help that? And so then I think about with my own insecurities, like I've been very open about saying body image is is really difficult for me. And um, I, I try to say, and I don't know that this is right or not. I'm like, okay, what happened in my childhood to have this, 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 and this happen. And then I'm like, well, I don't really know that anything 
did. And then I feel like I'm trying to pull things. And then I think, okay, maybe it's just a combination of things that I don't really realize were happening, but did happen. And so is that normal? Like, how do you even start to dive into that? Yeah, I think that is a very normal thing. Just as women alone, we are inundated with, uh, and now with social media, our children are so much more inundated with images um, and magazines and advertising and very subliminal messages that our worth mm-hmm. is tied into our appearance or what we look like. And that starts early at a young age with Barbie dolls or with um, just some of the different things that we're exposed to with the Disney princesses. And so sometimes it's very subtle. It's not an obvious thing. I know for me, uh, I had an eating disorder throughout high school and college and really struggled with body image. And I know that some of the messages that I got throughout my childhood where I saw my mom struggling with her body image and with you know, going on diets and some of that did get internalized into how I, I viewed myself. So it, it, it's a combination of a lot of different factors. And it doesn't always have to be some big, huge trauma that that creates that. It's subtle sometimes, sneaky, the advertising. Well, I, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that. I mean, I'm not, I definitely am thankful there's not something in regard to trauma for me, but it also makes it very difficult because I am trying to figure out like what happened along the way. Mm-hmm. And, and I do. I think it's just being a product of, of being female in our society with some of those messages that are there that are not overt. They're not blatant, but that, but over time they, they, they chip away at our self-worth and it erodes and we compare ourselves to others and we think, well, if I go buy this product, then I'm not going to have wrinkles anymore and I'll look beautiful because I, I, cause we're seeing airbrushed images and, and that somehow kind of clicks in the back of our mind. Um, based when we when we figure out what we think about our bodies and our and our appearance, I know neither one of us have a glass ball to look into the future. But do you feel like this? Not that it's going to change, but it's going to get better. I mean, I see some things being done, but. What do you think needs to happen or could happen? Well, it's interesting. And when I was in uh, senior in college in my undergraduate, I wrote a paper. We had to write like a thesis paper. Um, and I chose my the title of mine was Fat is Not a Four-Letter Word. And I did all about uh body positivity and that sort of thing before that was ever really talked about. And now there is a movement where there is a body positivity or body size acceptance. And that's turned even in more into more of a neutral thing. So just accepting the way that you look and the way that you are and and appreciating that we're, we're becoming more exposed to that. There are some companies that do advertising where they don't kind of airbrush everything, uh, where things where you can actually see some natural dimples or hair or things that that might normally be airbrushed out. It's not normal to see somebody without pores. <laughs> so, oh, my gosh, um, those little messages along the way, I, I do see some changing because of that. However, I think with the whole selfie culture, 
Yeah. And social media, it's very hard to challenge that. I have a 16-year-old daughter. She's an athlete. She's beautiful. She doesn't subscribe to wearing makeup and doing all those kinds of things. And I have been very careful throughout my raising her to not talk about weight, to not talk about food, to not talk about those kinds of things. And she still struggles with her body image. <laughs> really? Um, so, yeah, she. It's, it's painful to see that happening. And the only thing that I can hope is that she will, internalize some of those beliefs that I am strong and I am powerful and my body does amazing things and some of those more neutral thought processes that we can have. Before we continue the conversation, let's talk real estate and let's talk about one of the sponsors of the podcast, Blonde in Real Estate. So the market continues to be crazy. And the great thing about Blonde in Real Estate, they're on top of technology and current trends. Something they've been doing for a long time is offering the ability to have you see property before it hits the market to the public. All you have to do is go to blondinrealestate.com and you will be able to sign up for this weekly update. So with the market the way it is right now, when something goes public, that house, that property, whatever, it's sold within hours. So if there is an area that you really have your eye on and you really just want to be there, it is best for you to go to blondinrealestate.com and sign up for that weekly update because you will know about it before others. Blonde in Real Estate will help you navigate these crazy waters of this real estate game that's just uh, nothing like I've seen before. So head to blondinrealestate.com to learn more and to feel more confident in the real estate game. Now let's get back into this week's conversation on two kids and a career. Do you mind me asking like what she is internalizing? It, what is happening to her that is making her think certain things? The only thing that I can think of is possibly comparison on social yeah. media, you know, seeing girls that might not look like her because she will never probably look like them. Her body, she's she's muscular. She's she's a goalie. She's powerful. She's she's strong. And she's not going to be stick thin. If she look if you look at me and her dad, we're, she's not <laughs> genetically, she's never going to look like some of the people that she may be friends with that are in their bikinis that she's just not going to look that way. And that's that's okay. And that's, thank goodness, there's a variety and diversity and there's beauty in that. But as a developing teenager, you want to fit in, you want to be like everyone else, you want to, yeah. you want to look the same, or you want to be what you think other people are thinking is attractive. And that's just going to be part of her journey. Uh, I hope I can support her and guide her through that. It's um, oh, so difficult. Yeah, you would think yeah. that being surrounded in, in a home where that's not the focus and, you know, me being a therapist and being able to kind of send her the right message. And she wasn't one to play with Barbies and do that kind of thing. It, it, it's still, it's still there. You, when, when kids are together and they're at the lunch and their girls are talking about, well, I shouldn't eat this cause I'm going to get fat. Yes. Or, oh my God, I need to go work out. Those kinds of comments even if you're not the one saying them, you're absorbing in that. So I, I make it a point when I'm around friends, I do not talk about dieting. I do not talk about exercise. I do not talk about what I'm eating. Um, I just, that's an off limit conversation for me because I walk away from those things feeling bad. Yeah. And I've just had to kind of 
put up some boundaries when it comes to that. Uh, two things on that. Exactly what I was thinking was happening, you know, at the lunch table, so to speak, that you can't control what her friends here at their house and maybe whether and it's no shame against their mom. But if their mom doesn't know any better, like, hey, this is how she grew up and this is how it's carried on. You can't control that. I mean, the hope is your daughter would definitely end up like you where you say you walk away. But right now it's such an impressionable age. So, yeah, I get that. Like, that's got to be so hard. And the other thing I was thinking about is something that I have recently talked to someone about um, the correlation between exercise and results, where it's something that you should strive to do for your just overall health, not tying anything into it as far as losing weight, um, getting skinny, whatever it is. And I have not been able to do that. When I exercise, I am wanting results. So it's just one of those different mindset things that you have to get to. And I'm not there yet. And hopefully I will be. One of the things that helped me tremendously with the exercise component is I will not exercise unless I am having fun. So whatever that's going to look like. Uh, here in Florida, it's hot. I hate running with a passion. Me too. I am not going to run. That's not fun. <laughs> but I may go swimming because I used to love to swim when I was a girl. And that's a, kind of an inner child exercise that I can do to, to bring. It's nostalgic. And it reminds me of when I was on swim team. And that is fun. So I refuse to do any exercise unless there is something either nostalgic, there's something that my inner child's having a good time and that is something that I'm enjoying. So there are plenty of times that I'm not exercising because I'm, I don't feel that like, like that, that's what I want to do, but I might go out and walk the dog. And in my mind, when I'm focused on results and losing weight, um, that's not exercising. Walking in the dog's not exercising. That's just something I have to do. Sweating mm. at the gym for three hours is working out when I'm wearing, you know, my gym clothes. Then I'm working out and being good. And so I've just transformed the whole way that I look at exercise. If I want to dance in the kitchen while I'm cooking dinner, that's exercise. Uh, but I'm not calling it that. I'm calling it fun and I'm moving my body. And that's really helped me a lot. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. Okay. Take a note. <laughs> Take a note of that one, Megan. Um I will go back to the Barbie situation because I am, even at the age of 44, I like to collect the collector edition Barbies. Um, yeah, it's one of my things. I've always gr grown up with Barbies, and I love that my two little girls love to play with Barbies. Mm -hmm. I might be a little jealous that they have a dream house, but I can play with it too. Um, <laughs> but what I like is that I think that Barbie, Mattel, whatever, they're starting to get it a little bit more and they are offering options, but we have to purchase those options. Exactly. And so I try to, I'm no like great mom here. Like this isn't me trying to brag and stuff. I'm just saying that when there is an option go with the lesser 
choice, if that makes sense. The one that there's 15 of those on the rack versus two. And that I just think is super helpful because then, and like, I'm not even pointing it out. I'm not pointing it out that she's a little bit more muscular or she's a different color. It's just everybody is welcome into this dream house. Yeah, I think that that's a beautiful, a beautiful thing to be able to have, you know, a different, different types and shapes and sizes and abilities. There may be Barbie in a wheelchair or, you know, different things that are very inclusive that are more representative of the world around us, because that's, that's what we're, we're exposing ourselves to when we're playing with that. It just normalizes it. There is no good or bad Barbie or good Mm -hmm. or bad look in terms of what people's appearance are. It's, and you I think of little children and how, you know, we, we teach them very early on. Everybody comes in different shapes and sizes and somehow that gets lost along the way that that's okay. So there's, there's a, there's an innocence to that, that we all look different and we all, our bodies do different things and that's amazing and wonderful and beautiful. Yeah, it absolutely is. And, and that is something that I am learning. Um, I'm a better parent in regard to talking about that than I am my own self, but Mm -hmm. I am definitely learning. Um, Another question though, and I don't know if there's research on this, there probably is, but like the stats with women that you see, do you find that it is the self-image, the body issues that are really wrecking women's confidence more than something else? Or I mean, how much do you see? Well, because I work with with eating disorders and body image, I tend to see a lot of that in my practice. Um, and I think that it's hard to escape that as, as women. So the workbook is interesting. I only had a couple of exercises in there about body image specifically and kind of focused a little bit more on uh, the importance of setting boundaries and being able to have healthy relationships and being able to communicate your needs and your wants and releasing some of those negative thoughts that are there, that that can be generalized in a lot of ways. But body image is right up there in the top, I think, for a lot of women. Yeah. I mean, it kind of like goes hand in hand with some things. So uh, with the boundaries, (laughs) people pleasers, Mm -hmm. how do you get through to them? So I probably would say I'm a recovering people pleaser and I still struggle with that tendency to want to please others and make them happy and put myself last a lot of times. One of the things that helped me is recognizing that I used to think if if, if I'm setting a boundary, I'm keeping other people away from Mm -hmm. stepping into my space. And now I realize that by me people pleasing, I'm actually the boundary violator. And that I was like, I don't want to be a boundary violator. So I'm going to make sure I work on that. I don't by stepping into someone else's space and trying to to make sure they're okay, feeling responsible for their feelings, making sure that they have everything that they need, sacrificing your needs for them. That actually means you're stepping over into their, their responsible place of of what they're supposed to be doing for themselves and taking responsibility for. So that helped me kind of take a step back and realize, hey, I'm not responsible for fixing this for this person, or I can set a boundary for myself and and take care of me. And that's actually probably going to make me healthier and more fun to be around and a, and a better person to be in their life if I'm setting those boundaries for myself. 
I always laugh because I think about the people who just are like, I don't give an beep. I'm like, I wish I could be that way. <laughs> there, there is some freedom that comes from that. Oh. And, I, and I think there's a balance. Some people are just naturally empathic. I know for, I'm super empathic. I yeah. have, a, I'm very sensitive and, and I Same. truly care about people and want to help people. It's a genuine character trait of mine. So I have yeah, had to learn how to protect that and and to use that in a positive way so that I'm not drained. Some people are not wired that way. Uh, they And that's not good or bad. It's just a different thing that motivates them. Yeah, I feel the exact same. So that's something that I'm working on too. And, and with the help of the workbook, I think that's just going to speak volumes to me. Yeah, it's a very hard process to do. I, I used to feel like I was being selfish if I said no, or mm. if I set up a boundary that I, I was only thinking about myself, even practicing self-care uh, that gets interchanged a lot with self-love, but I would, yep. that's, we feel like, oh, we're being selfish and it's actually the opposite. I think over time research shows that it, it, it's, you become more self-absorbed and selfish when you are resentful and yeah. frustrated and giving and giving and giving and not getting back what you deserve. Yeah. Yes. Yes. 100%. Uh, in our final moments together, I did want to bring up what you just said about it is a long process. I think individuals need to understand that this is an ongoing process, that this isn't something you just start doing and you wake up tomorrow and all those bad thoughts are going to go away. I didn't know if you had any tips, though, while someone is going through the process, like, okay, when this comes back up, here's what you need to do. Um, because I know that everyone's journey is completely different and some people it's going to take longer than others. I think the number one tip that is the most helpful for people to do along this journey is to practice mindfulness. Mindfulness is the it's like the thread that's interwoven throughout the whole the whole book. Mindfulness is being in the moment and it's learning to not judge things as good or bad, right or wrong, fair or unfair. It just is. So when we when we practice with an attitude of mindfulness, our daily daily things that are happening, our thoughts, we just become observers. Like, oh, this thought, I suck, just popped into my mind. Interesting. Mm -hmm. It's just a thought at that point. I don't have to give it any attention or energy. I don't have to get absorbed in it. I don't have to figure it all out. I can just be aware that my brain just had that thought. That's all that existed. So mindfulness is a very powerful, simple thing to do because simple, but not simple. It's, it's hard to practice, but you, you at the when you boil it down, it is just observing with your five senses, noticing what you see, smell, taste, touch, hear, what your body feels like, what thoughts are happening in your in your mind, and you're just narrating it as as if it's happening and it's just what is. So when you unglue the meaning, the meaning is what hijacks us. Putting a, um, a judgment on something hijacks us into a, a new emotional space, and that can then derail us from the progress that we're making. So just simple it, simplify it and bring it back to a mindfulness. I just had the thought, I don't feel like doing the stupid workbook. Okay, that's just a thought. You don't have to give that energy or attention. You can just notice that you had that thought. That doesn't mean that then you have to beat yourself up or that you have to structure five hours on Saturday to work on it. Mm. Just notice that thought just popped there. Okay, 
I'm going to refocus my attention on something else. Got it. Okay. I like that. <laughs> all right. Okay. I keep saying, all right. Okay. Because I'm just like processing it all. Uh, the other thing that I like to talk about is that it doesn't matter how old you are. You can always educate yourself and work on yourself. Absolutely. One of my oldest clients is 88. Uh, and I love working with her. She's uh, pretty amazing. And she's constantly working on herself to try to gain insights and understand why she is the way she is. And, and it's never too late to start that. Absolutely. Oh, I love that. Mm -hmm. That yes, I love that so much. All right. So Megan, the book. I will link up in our show notes at jilldevine.com, but I will remind people right now that it is called Self-Love, the workbook for women. And it is written by Megan Logan. You also have a website and that is meganloganlcsw.com. Where else can people find you? What else do you want to mention before I let you go and enjoy the rest of your day? So I did just start an Instagram page. Yeah. And that, that's new. I've never needed an Instagram or had one, but I've connected with so many people. I think every day somebody messages me about the workbook or how they're using it. So that's definitely some a way of connecting. And I have a newsletter that if you go to my website, you can sign up for a monthly newsletter that I share some therapeutic tips or techniques, kind of similar things that are in the workbook uh, to be thinking about. And um, I'm working on another book in the future. So that's something else that's pretty exciting. Oh, can you give us a little bit? Of yeah. That? So it's, uh, the theme is nurturing okay. and it's going to be a similar kind of a workbook type of structure. So it'll kind of take you through a whole year of different things and activities to, to help you nurture me from many different perspectives, not just ourselves, but, um, like nurturing your inner child or your inner goddess, those kinds of things. Oh, okay. So when this is getting close to release date, let's chat. Let's yes. let everybody know about this because that's going to be huge. So yes, I am here for that. Awesome. I, I look forward to that. And I've enjoyed talking with you and, and hearing your podcast. I've listened to a couple episodes and they've been very informative and entertaining. So oh, well, thank you, Megan. And I am so excited to keep diving in. And I'm so excited for other women to get this into their hands because it's just one step. Take that step, get it, start loving you because you deserve it. So thank you again, Megan. Thank you. On next week's episode, episode 89, I will be joined by a 35-year-old mother who helps start a nonprofit called The Grace Period. Sarah Chandler saw that the average Joe needs help and she did something about it. The Grace Period is a transitional housing program for the working homeless, and she is going to discuss that and discuss how her own upbringing helped her realize that this is needed so much right now. Tune in next week for that. Before we wrap up this week's episode, a reminder to check out Blondin Real Estate at blondinrealestate.com. With the market as crazy as it is, you want experience. You want to make sure that you have people that are getting it done and they are using the best technology and the most updated technology 
and Blonde in Real Estate, all of that. Especially if you're looking in the areas of New Melly, Warrington, Defiance, Marthasville, Washington, you need a local agency and that would be Blonde in Real Estate. So check out Blonde in Real Estate right now by visiting blondinrealestate.com. Again, that's blondinrealestate.com. And don't forget to sign up for their weekly update where you can learn about properties first at blondinrealestate.com. I'd like to thank you for your support of the podcast, Two Kids in a Career. May I ask you to subscribe, rate, and review it on the podcast platform of your choice. When you do that, it gets in the hands of others. And you can also follow along on all the socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or jilldevine.com. Let's chat. Tell me what you think, any guests you want to hear on a future episode. And again, thank you for your support of Two Kids and a Career. 